Good morning, church. How are you doing? Everybody okay? Good, good, good. Hey, I, uh, I just want to remind you, if you haven't met me, my name's Alex, and uh, remind you also that you know, the point of Sunday sermons is to try to touch every area of life that applies to followers of Jesus. And so the Bible talks a ton about things like family and marriage, talks a ton about heaven and hell, eternal life. It talks a lot about money, talks a lot about forgiveness. And uh, the Bible has a lot to say, too, about government. And uh, the problem with church talking about government is that people have really strong opinions. And so it's easy to make enemies. And so I, I want to just give you a couple more things to think about because we're heading into a presidential election. Uh, Twitter and Facebook are blowing up with their commentary. All the cable news channels can talk about nothing else but politics. And uh, it can be easy to get lost in the fray. And uh, either that or just check out and not want anything to do with it because it's so nasty and ugly sometimes. But I think God has called us to have a responsibility as followers of Jesus to make whatever impact we can make from a godly perspective. Would you agree with that? Yeah, just because you're a believer and you're going to heaven doesn't mean we can wash our hands of what happens on earth. We've got to be investing along the way until Jesus comes back. We don't get to just divorce ourselves from governmental problems or poverty problems or any other kind of problem. We are the ones who are called to be salt and light and have influence for good. So uh, let me give you a couple more pointers about what our responsibilities are and perhaps what they're not. Um, by the way, I want you to know that if I have a conversation with anyone about politics and it looks like we're becoming less than friends, for me, it's over. I refuse to lose a friendship over stuff like that. I refuse. I would rather just be wrong and you can be right all the time as long as we can stay friends, okay? That's my attitude, so um, that's where I want to go today as well. I don't want to make any enemies, but I do want to challenge you to take a look at what the Word says, because the Bible is our guide, right? Yeah. So let's find out a couple of um, bare-bones things that I think all Christians could and should agree on. I'll start by reminding you of last week, uh, we made note of how Israel was taken as exiles into Babylon, a land that was not theirs. They worshipped other gods. The nation of Israel wasn't happy about it. But ultimately, God said through Jeremiah, I carried you here. This is kind of my deal. I want you to be exiled in this strange land where people worship strange gods. And contrary to what you might think, I don't want you to just hide out for 70 years. I want you to prosper here. I want you to invest here. I want you to serve and pray for this community, even though they're so different from you. Because if they prosper, you will prosper too. And so my, my point of bringing that out was that's kind of like how Christians feel in in America nowadays. We're, we're pretty uh, different than the average worldly non-Christian, the way we think, the way we live, our goals in life. And uh, that doesn't mean we get to just hide out and stick to ourselves. We're supposed to just kind of seep into culture, right, and have as much influence as possible. So in, in that way, uh, we need to then ask the question, okay, what is my responsibility when it comes to influencing a government where... It's been designed for every citizen to have a say. That's really unique in the world. That's rare. Did you know that? Most countries do not let their average citizen have a say in the direction of the country. 
America is very rare in that. So oftentimes, uh, Christians in other lands, they, they have no influence at all, and so all they can do is pray, and that's it. They don't get to vote. They don't get to write petitions. They don't get to have a, an opinion page or anything else in the newspaper. They have a whole different role. They get to influence their government, but primarily, indirectly, like through prayer. But in America, we have a privilege of having a say. And that's something we have to acknowledge. God caused you to be born in this country and not another place. And so with that privilege of having to say, I believe God has called us to a responsibility. They go hand in hand. We have a right and we have a responsibility. The thing we have to be careful of as well is um, not try to think or believe that every controversial issue is going to have a perfect biblical solution. Life is complex. Every issue that we talk about, whether it be from abortion to southern border to taxes to whatever it is, they're so complex. And, and you know, there, there are thousands of laws on the books that have already been written that are then adjusted and then tweaked and rewritten and then they have another vote and they put a little addendum to it. So no matter what, you're never going to get this pure, perfect Jesus answer for everything. Nor can we expect everybody that we talk to to be 100% right or 100% wrong. That's one of the things that I think are is so polarizing is we treat people who disagree as if they're absolutely demonically possessed evil people and then these other guys are absolute saints like Jesus neither is true we're all a mixed bag right we got some things right but we get some things wrong and so if we can just kind of learn that this is going to be a lifetime of investing a lifetime of conversations, a lifetime of voting, a lifetime of writing letters. And uh, not to just start dissing on your fellow man just because they have a different point of view. The thing I want to do is look from the 40,000 foot level and just say, are there some overriding truths that are absolutes all the time? Does God have a world view that will shape and form his opinion about everything all the time? And I think the answer to that is yes. He's got some big picture beliefs about us and about planet Earth. And I'd like to share a few of those with you this morning and um, ask you to start using that as your lens to see through when you're deciding whether this is a good policy, bad policy. Good for the nation, bad for the nation. Good person, not so great a person. If you look through that lens, we're going to do a whole lot more to advance his kingdom and his cause than if we just take the latest Facebook post, you know, or the latest 10-minute soundbite that we just saw on TV, because those are designed to just arouse people. And those are designed to either attract money or clickbait to get you to buy the advertiser's product. You've got you to realize there's a whole lot going on there. We need to have a little bit bigger picture, better lens, and deeper thought. So let's take a look at one that I think you can probably agree with. What does God believe about man? I think it's really clear in the Bible that mankind is intrinsically self-centered. We are born that way. The Bible calls it we're born into sin. And that has a lot of implications. Isaiah said it like this. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And Paul said in Romans, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not even one. Can you raise your hand if you believe God's telling the truth about this? Raise your hand. Because it's important that you agree with God. Otherwise, you're going to have a differing opinion and not necessarily have his perspective. This is what you might call the Judeo-Christian worldview. And uh, when you think about this, 
And you recognize that, okay, that means all humanity is broken, except for those who completely surrendered their lives to Jesus. They have a, a will and a desire to not be that kind of person, but this stuff still swirls around, even in Christians, even in those who are committed to Christ. But if this is true, then that means everybody who's in a role of government and all of those that they govern are kind of dominated by self-centeredness. So if that's the case, then no matter what people say, if they're, let's say, running for office, no matter what they say, I think it's, it's essential for us to ask the question, are they really looking out for our best interests or their own? We should have a healthy skepticism of everything we hear, no matter what part or party they're from. Because mankind is just intrinsically tends to take care of himself. And so if we hear something that sounds just so glowing and wonderful, oh, we're going to have, you know, let's take Medicare for all or free college or, you know, $1,000 per person, no matter what. There's actually a presidential candidate that has put that on his platform. $1,000 cash from the government, no matter what. We have to ask the question, wait a minute. If we have fallen people who are in charge of the land, serving fallen people, aren't there two potential problems there? They're just trying to get votes. And it's possible these people will just suck the government dry and not really do anything productive for it because we're fallen people. That's just kind of our gravitational pull, especially those who aren't Christians. So there should be some healthy skepticism every time we hear something that does not take this truth into account. I was uh, talking to a friend several years ago, 10, 15 years ago, and uh, it was some previous presidential campaign, and, and uh, we just had some friendly conversations, love him, he loves Jesus, great Christian man, student of the word, and um, I, I asked him who he was tending to, to lean toward, and he said, I'm, I'm voting for this guy, and I, I asked him the question, um, is that because you work for the government? I said, yeah, he worked for King County at the time. I said, isn't that kind of why you're voting for him? He goes, wow, I never thought of that. I never thought of that. This candidate is going to tend to want to grow government, which means I'll probably have job security, and this guy wants to shrink government, and I could lose my job. I never thought about that. He wasn't evil. He wasn't selfish. It was just kind of a natural, instinctive move. Why? Because we're just kind of self-centered people. I don't know if that changed his vote, but it helped him at least think a little bit more deeply that his motives could be more self-serving than the good of the country, for instance. So um, if you also ask the question, by the way, there's nothing wrong with voting your pocketbook. If you want to vote because you're going to do better financially, that's not a sin necessarily. It's not necessarily a crime, but at least say that's why I'm voting this way because I'm going to keep my job, you know, if you work for the state or you're a teacher or something like that. If... Well, let me ask you it this way. Would you agree that uh, one of the strongest desires for the average employee, here's just an illustration, strongest desire for the average worker who's making a living, one of the strongest desires is just to keep the darn job, right? Just to stay employed. I, I like paying my bills. I like eating. I like getting my kids to school on time in a car that works, okay? So just keeping one's job, is a, it's a normal universal desire, unless you hate your work. You just want a different job, but then you want to keep that job, right? So if that's the case, then 
when you're a teacher or a roofer or a salesperson or a dental hygienist or whatever it is, the way you keep your job is just either produce more, make more sales, do a better job, uh, have better outcomes for your students if you're a teacher, right? You, you basically work, you produce something of value. Now here's the interesting, and this is really important to understand. People who work for the government produce nothing. That's not a slam. It's just not their job to produce widgets or to put roofs on or to sell products or to, to teach students. Their job is to govern the rest of us in a way that we all can prosper. But the difference is their way of keeping their job is not to produce more or make more sales or teach better students. It's to persuade people to vote for them. That's the way they stay employed. You have to understand this. It's, just, it's not bad. It's the way our government is set up. It's just the way it is. So the potential for a candidate to elicit votes in a less than honest way is great. They need job security just like you and I do. But their only power is to persuade. The platform, the microphone, whatever they write, the way they debate, how they look. Their only power is to persuade other people. So you have to recognize, okay, if all of mankind has fallen, and a lot of these folks don't know Jesus, they have a completely godless worldview, doesn't make them evil or horrible, they just don't see through that lens, they're not aware that they might just sort of twist things or make promises every now and then that, that they really can't fulfill because their only way to keep their job is to get voted in. They don't get to coerce our votes. So their only power, their only tool is the power of persuasion. So I just want you to think about that so that, not that you'll hate anybody or automatically vote for this person, but that you'll have a healthy skepticism about everything you hear, no matter who the candidate is or what they're saying. Because the chances are, if they don't know the Lord especially, they could just be making it up because they want you to say yes. Does that make sense? That, now that's a worldview that anybody and everybody should look through if you're a Christian. It's just that man has fallen unless you're completely surrendered to God. Like some of you are, some of you here in this room work for the government. You have a government job and you're surrendered to Jesus and you do produce things. What you do is produce good government. You produce things that people can trust and you have honor and integrity. So the thing that I want to um, have you focus on is that we can't be so quick to judge and assess what we hear. Because they're designed just to make a splash and a flash. We can't dabble around the edges of a, a particular policy or a person and think we're going to have all the facts. It takes more work than that. We have to really not be quick to decide and quick to assume just because, well, I'm going to get free education or my kid's going to go to college for free or something like that. That's just an example. It's not the, the worst thing on the planet. But it's an example. We have to go, hmm. Just because it feels good, sounds good to me. Somebody's going to have to pay for that, by the way. Um, is that really good for everyone? Is it equally beneficial? Or is it just a certain people group that are being benefited? God wants us to see through his lens and make sure we're not just favoring one over another. He doesn't do that. He said no favoritism. No favoritism. Treat everybody the same. Second, I think uh, part of that lens we need to look through is that God commands us to love our neighbors as ourselves. We talked about that last week. That's the greatest commandment. 
Another place where Paul made the similar statement, he said, pure and genuine, or James rather, pure and genuine religion in the sight of God and the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. This is a mandate for every Christian. I don't think the word orphans and widows is an exhaustive list of needy people. I think they're exemplary. These kinds of people, just so we'd all kind of have a picture of, you know, those who really can't care for themselves or their husbands are gone or their parents are gone, those who just aren't able to care for themselves and have a legitimate need. He says, you've got to have a heart for them. Now, here's the question. Do you think this is a mandate from God for individuals or for entire governments? What do you think? Maybe both. Maybe a little bit of both. Maybe governments can handle the needs of a million disabled veterans way better than you and I can as individuals. Maybe group, you know, care is going to bring resources and abilities to, to care for large bodies of people in our country way better than homes or churches can. So I think there's a place for that, definitely. But does that mean every need, every human need needs to be cared for by government? That's where you have to be careful when you start hearing promises about meeting the needs of others. Compassion, absolute mandate for individuals. And you and I, every single day, like little Kevin, call him little Kevin, like little Kevin shared earlier, we have opportunities and we need to prayerfully by the Spirit say, Lord, am I called to help this person right here and right now? Because the answer often will be yes. But that's a whole lot different. That's a mandate by the Spirit to the individual Christian to respond in his own individual way as he is able. But when you turn that into a nationwide law, I just want to say offhand that that sounds a little bit more like coercion and control than freedom and privilege and opportunity. And once again, when we're called to act by and in compassion, um, we need to take that first principle into account as well. People can twist things. People can use a strength that we have. We're compassionate people and use it against us. We can be exploited. You ever thought about that? It happens all the time. You may have seen this. Um, a while back I saw a, a little news blurb uh, about this couple who befriended a homeless man and the three of them plotted to open a GoFundMe account and it was all this kind of uh, show to help this man get back on his feet. And they did like weekly reports about how he was doing. He cut his hair. He had nice clothes on. He got a job. And the money's just pouring in, pouring in over $300,000 to get this guy on his feet. Guess what? The entire thing was a scam. The three of them were in it together the entire time. That, that just happens. It doesn't... It doesn't mean you would do that or you're going to vote for somebody who does, but just that's kind of human nature. Our compassion is a requirement to be shown every chance we get, but it can be exploited. And in politics, baby, they will do whatever they can to turn your little heartstrings and get you to go, oh, they're going to throw grandma off a cliff if I don't do this or do that, you know? So be careful. Be wise. Think deeply. Do research. Don't buy everything you hear. The um, other side of that coin is government is a, a whole lot more efficient at building highways and roads than our little work party could on a Saturday. We need that. 
The entire government is way better at defending us as a nation with our military, way better than you and I could just go buying rifles and putting them out the door at the window, right? There's absolutely a place, and for highways and everything else, there's a place for government. I'm not saying zero. But let's be careful not to let others take responsibility out of our hands that God has actually given to the individual. So one example, I, I don't want to go into all the issues because... Well, you can think for yourselves. In fact, I don't want to tell you what to think. I want you to just think Christianly. That's the whole ball of wax. But let's take um, the fact that we have 11 million or so, 12 million undocumented immigrants, undocumented immigrants living here. And so far this year, 500,000 more have been captured at the border, coming in illegally. It's hard to get your brain around that. I mean... There's one of those things where there's so many sides to that issue. Uh, you, you can't just say one size fits all. Here's how you fix it, this, that, or the other. But what you can do is kind of bring it down to your size. Bring it down to your house. How do we think about this, Lord? How do we show compassion to those who many have legitimate needs? They're, they're truly being um, hurt and damaged in the countries where they're now living. They need a rescue. They need escape. Well, if I were to take it down to my home size issue, here's how I deal with it. If I was required to leave my front door unlocked 24-7, and there are several homeless people in my neighborhood who I clearly are on drugs and clearly who've been arrested also for carrying weapons, and they're scary people. Not all, but there are, they are out there. But if I was required to leave my door unlocked and they could just walk by any day, any time, walk in, and they went into one of my daughter's bedrooms and just pulled the covers back and laid down, turned on her CD player, took her little snack from the side of the bed and started munching on it, and she came home from school and said, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? Hey, man, I have a right. I have rights. Is that compassion? That doesn't make sense. So there's one side of the coin. But if, let's say, my door is locked and one of those folks comes and knocks on my door and says, Alex, I, I really need a hand up. I don't need a hand out. I want a hand up. Can you help? I would probably say yes. We've done this before. We've had several. Not, yeah, they were homeless. They weren't on the streets, but they were, their family had moved and they were students in college and they had nowhere else to go and we had an extra bedroom. We had the resources and we actually loved doing that. I would probably say, yes, we will do whatever we can. So you have to be careful when people say, the government is going to take care of all of these problems. It sounds good because it lets us off the hook personally, but it's not necessarily financially or fiscally responsible or even possible. So using that commandment to love your neighbor as yourself, absolutely essential when thinking about which direction our country should go, how you should vote, who you should vote for. But don't let them go too far because of principle number one. And finally, um, it's God's intent that we make disciples of all nations. Peter said it really clearly. The Lord is not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. How many? All. Christians have the privilege right now to worship freely. We have the privilege to speak our minds publicly. But do you sense that those privileges are dwindling over time? I, I mean, when you're being sued because you won't bake a cake for someone 
whose lifestyle you disapprove of, that, that sounds a little bit more like persecution than freedom to me. So I see a little kind of a this sort of slow movement away from being people who can freely make disciples of all nations. So when government begins to infringe on my God kingdom mandate to speak to others freely without being arrested, um, that's kind of going against the will of God. And if I have influence over my government to push back on that, then it's my responsibility for those that I love, care for, and pray for, it's my responsibility to give them the opportunity to keep hearing the good news. If I live in a nation where I don't have that right, well, I can throw my hands up and say, they're going to have to answer to God for that because I have no authority, no power here except what I do in secret. So whenever you see people talking about, oh, we just want to make sure we have equality. We just want justice for all. We just want fairness for all. Those three words are words that any sane person would feel a softening toward because they all sound good, right? But the problem is, when some people say fairness, what they really mean is they're going to elevate one group over another just to make it equal or, or pay them back or something like that. You have to know how to define those words and what they're actually proposing. Is that really going to promote the kingdom of God and actual justice, which God is concerned about, or not? Galatians 5.13 is not up here. I got it right here. It says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh but rather serve one another humbly in love. When I read that, I, I think about not just for us and for me personally, not to use my freedom to indulge the desires of my flesh or my lower nature. I think that's also something I should help other people do as well. So for instance, um, let's say someone in our country wants to continue allowing people to abort their children up to the day of birth. They think that's a definition of freedom, a right to choose. Let's just say that's their definition. If I've got a kingdom mandate to promote the kingdom of God and the love of Christ and forgiveness and healing and health, I don't think that something is that freedom to abort at that age is going to draw those people to Christ. Maybe it'll draw them first to depression or near suicide, and then they'll come back from that and God will rescue them, but how about if we catch them before that happens? So there's that. And then there's things like um, hiring requirements regardless of one's stated gender. Um, am I advancing the cause of Christ or am I encouraging people to indulge in their lower nature? That's the true kingdom perspective. God says you're not helping them by letting them just go off and, and be the gender they want to be. That's not a godly goal for their life. And finally, um, if government employees like state school boards and teachers um, are dropping sex education into your kindergartner's class on a regular basis, and that's part of the curriculum, without telling you as a parent, is that advancing the righteousness and the goodness of God? No. So we need to apply those three things. Be skeptical about everything you hear, every promise that's made. Why? Because you can't trust human nature, including yours. Secondly, recognize that we are called to live lives of compassion. But I don't think God 
wants compassion to be mandated or coerced by an outside force because it's no longer genuine, number one. But number two, somebody's got to pay. If we're giving away help here, someone's got to pay the cost. Remember, government doesn't produce money. Well, they can print it. I take it back. But it's not real money. They don't produce anything. They, they have to garner their income from you and I. And so there's a check and a balance. Taxes are important. we got to do it. But if you get too crazy, man, whoo, we're going to miss God's best. So can I just conclude by saying when it comes to engaging in the governing process ourselves, whether we're in a role of, of governing others or we're being governed, we have to look through the, the worldview that, that God has established and uh, recognize if you get right down into the weeds of an issue right away, you'll probably get a button pushed and you're going to miss what God really wants you to do. It's important to keep that 40,000-foot uh, perspective at all times so that you can make wise decisions and recognize, yeah, about 40% of that idea is bad, but 60% is good. And one of those is going to happen. I'm going to be governed by something. And if I can have a say in moving it, moving the needle in the direction of Jesus Christ, that's what I want to do. So this morning, uh, if I can close by asking you to just recognize you have a responsibility. I'm not going to preach every sermon on politics. I mean, this is only my second one in about five years. And I take it back. I did a little one-week series before. But I just want you to know we have some responsibility. If we say we love our fellow man, I am my neighbor's keeper, my brother's keeper, we have a responsibility to, to care and love enough to get our facts straight and then act on what we've learned. So, Father God, I thank you that you've carried us. We are Christians who've been born into a nation where we actually have this freedom, but also the responsibility to, to be governed by our consent. So help us to have a godly perspective, first of all, and then have a godly, a godly heart large enough to care enough to act on the things that you reveal to us. And let us ultimately walk in a spirit of unity and agreement and where there happens to be unnecessary bickering, fighting, and strife, Lord, help us to just put that to a stop and say, I love you more than I love being right. And help us to walk in your spirit of unity. But also, Lord, give us a chance to influence our friends and neighbors in our city, town, county, state, government toward you. In Jesus' name, amen? Amen. amen. Well, thank you for hanging in. And uh, yeah, let's go get it right. And uh, like I said, stay out of the Twitter wars. Watch out for Facebook posts. Don't get into arguments. If you're going to watch cable news, watch all sides, all channels. Don't just watch one. And uh, you have a much better chance of getting God's perspective. God bless you. See you next Sunday.